Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, while Wedge prepares for a final assault on Borlaus, Luke and Mara head to Coruscant to try to stop an evil that might be even worse than the Yuuzhan Vong. It's Enemy Lines 2, Rebel Stand, by Aaron Alston. And joining me to talk about the book today is Jay. Jay, how have you been? I've been pretty good. How, are, how about yourself, Aaron? I've been pretty good. I've been watching a lot of Baltimore Orioles, watching a lot of the Orioles win. I know that. So that's that's always a good thing. Well, for some people. <laughs> I, I prefer to watch the Blue Jays and watch them win, especially when they beat the Orioles, <laughs> which I, I know this season has not happened very much, but I still enjoy it anyway. <laughs> well, right now, both of our teams are in the playoffs. Yeah. If the season were to end today, which, of course, it doesn't. Well, I, I hope that uh, we do meet up in the playoffs. That would be uh, a lot of fun. Listener, if you don't know, Jay is one of the hosts of the Animated Antics podcast. The latest episode was on the Netflix show Arcane League of Legends. That was a cool episode. What's the next show that you and Kat are covering, Jay? Uh, the next show we're covering is Netflix's Shira Princesses of Power. We both are really excited to get into this, and I can honestly say that I've seen bits and pieces of it uh, when my daughters have watched it, and it looked pretty good, so I'm, uh, I've am i been really chomping at the bit to j- dive into this one. I really enjoyed that show. I watched it when it first came out, over a spell of about two months. I've really got into it. Now, at the risk of dating myself, allow me to suggest one of my favorite animated shows from when I was younger. It's called The Mysterious Cities of Gold. It's a show about the search for El Dorado in Central and South America in the 1500s. It's probably a hard-to-find show nowadays, but I loved it. I remember watching it when I was like in the 5th and 6th grade. Well, you're, you're not that much older than I am, and uh, I've honestly never heard of this show, so I may have to uh, try and track it down and uh, see what my buddy Aaron's talking about. I believe it's also a Japanese-produced show from the early 80s, like 82 or 83. I, I saw it in the late 80s when it came on Nickelodeon uh, here in the United States. I'm sure... I'm one of only 10 or 12 people listening to this podcast right now that's ever heard of the Mysterious Cities of Gold. So, enough about your podcast, though, Jay. We're on the Star Wars Legends Lounge, and we're going to get to listener questions. We have two questions today. Jay, would you please read our first email? It comes from Zachary. I absolutely will. Zachary says, I love the New Jedi Order and the inclusion of other people and their opinions. I have two questions. One, are there any books you'd like to see added to the Essential Legends collection that haven't already been added? And two, if Anakin Vader had lived at the end of Return of the Jedi, do you think the Legends timeline would have been different? What would be the main differences? Thank you very much for the question, Zachary. If I had to pick some books for the Essential Legends collection. 
first off, I'd really like to see them include the new Jedi Order in there. I don't think they're going to do that. I think it would be too difficult to do 19 books as part of that collection. They've already included the first four X-Wing books. It would be nice to see them include the next three, the Wraith Squadron books. I think those would be pretty cool. But if I had to choose just one, this is going to be a little out of left field. Just for its historical significance, I think they should include Splinter of the Mind's Eye. The first expanded universe book from 1978 by Alan Dean Foster. It does not fit the timeline. Luke and Leia aren't brother and sister. Vader is not their father. Han and Chewie aren't in the story. A lot of things are different. But it was the original concept for a sequel for A New Hope. And I think just because of that, it deserves to be included in the Essential Legends collection. Jay, do you have a choice from the old Expanded Universe? Um, I actually like Splinters of the Mind's Eye idea. That was my first thought. And then I would also like to see the Jedi Academy trilogy uh, in the Essential Collection, um, since they are already doing iJedi. And, of course, the New Jedi Order. um, Even if they didn't do all 19 books, I think Vector Prime needs to be in there. Maybe star by star, but th- those would be my picks for the essential reading collection. I could see them including the Jedi Academy trilogy. I may not be the biggest fan of those books, but I could see where, yes, many fans of the old EU would consider those essential. Zachary, to answer your second question... How would the timeline have been different if Anakin slash Vader had lived at the end of Return of the Jedi? Oh, that's a tough one. And I'm not usually a fan of what-if questions. I like taking the story the way it's presented. If Vader would have lived, I would have liked to have seen how the galaxy reacted. Because, let's face it, he was part of a regime for decades, that oppressed much of the galaxy. He didn't order the destruction of Alderaan, but he has to bear some culpability to the destruction of that planet. Honestly, I think you lock him up for the rest of his life. I think you put him in prison, and he kind of functions as someone that Luke can go talk to possibly even Leia although I think it'll be much more difficult for Leia to go talk to him but I don't think you allow Anakin to roam the galaxy I don't know it just doesn't make sense to me to do that I would lock him up and just make him be sort of a sounding board for Luke to go ask advice to Jay, do you have any ideas? Uh, I do a little bit. I think that it would be a very interesting thing if he survived. But 
I'm like you. I think there would need to be some culpability for what he did as Vader. And the only way that that could really work is if he completely lost the suit and had some other, I don't know, half suit or something that made him look more like Anakin. Yeah. Even if you gave him another suit, he had to have something to keep him alive. We know that without the suit, he would die anyway. So, sure, you can give him a suit where you could see his face, I guess, but something would still have to allow him to breathe. His lungs were so destroyed by Mustafar that he couldn't breathe on his own. Yeah, the only way I could see that is if he they said that uh, he was trapped by the Emperor and they rescued him from the second Death Star. But again, you'd have to kind of explain why he was there in the first place. The one other thing I could maybe see is if somehow in throwing the Emperor off into the reactor of the second Death Star, and we know that Vader got bombarded by that weird sort of dark side explosion, maybe he could no longer touch or use the Force. That maybe would be an interesting angle, but honestly, Zachary, I don't have a good answer for you. I don't think Anakin should have lived past the end of Return of the Jedi. I think his death is what should have happened in the story. Thank you again for the email. Today's second email comes from listener Alex. Alex says, I love your review of this content. Do you believe that the state of the galaxy in the sequel trilogy would be prepared for the Yuzhan Vong invasion? How do you think that would go down? Well, Jay, we're mixing canon and legends now. How do you think the New Republic, the state of the galaxy, would have been in The Force Awakens if the Yuzhan Vong had invaded? I actually really like this question. It's a very interesting question, and I can 100% say that the New Republic of The Force Awakens would be doing worse than the New Republic in the books. And I say that because they weren't even prepared for basically the rebirth of the empire. They couldn't stop that. And we're with what we've seen with how the Vong have just gone through the star Wars galaxy, they, they would have completely overrun that new Republic and we, the galaxy would be in dire straits. Yeah, Alex, uh, I agree with Jay. It would have been worse If you have read any of the books in canon following the fall of the Empire and the rise of the New Republic, one of the things the New Republic was doing was taking many parts of the military and decommissioning it. They were getting rid of a lot of military starships. They were disbanding large parts of the New Republic military. So you have an invasion force like the Yuzhan Vong, 
and you have a military force that is operating, I mean, I don't know, a third of what it was during the Galactic Civil War, yeah, I think the Yuuzhan Vong rolls through the galaxy. You also have to remember at the time of The Force Awakens, Ben Solo destroyed Luke's Jedi Academy. So how many Jedi do you have? Luke, who's gone into hiding. You have Ben Solo, who's become Kylo Ren. All it seems that you have is a scavenger on the backwater planet of Jakku who doesn't know she's Force-sensitive. So... I don't know how that's going to help either. I, I think Jay's exactly right. I think the Yuuzhan Vong rolls through the galaxy. Thank you for the email, Alex. Now, listener, if you have a question for the show, like Zachary and Alex did, you can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, you can record an audio question and email it in. Just please help me out and record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Now it's time for today's book, Enemy Lines 2, Rebel Stand, by Aaron Alston. Ready to go, Jay? I'm ready to go. Well, grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins on Coruscant. Disguised as Yuzang Vong warriors, Luke, Mara, Tahiri, Danny, and Wraith Squadron sneak through the underbelly of the city planet. There's decay everywhere. A strange algae covers everything, breaking down the buildings and anything non-organic. The lack of food and water will likely be the death of the people that weren't able to escape when the Yuzang Vong took the planet. The Wraiths hope to set up a resistance cell on Coruscant, and shuttle some of the remaining people to safety. But Luke is there for something else, to stop his vision of a dark side evil from coming true. The insertion team finds a group of survivors who tell them about a huge man stalking the underground, killing refugees and Yuuzhan Vong alike. The story sounds like an old Karelian child's tale about Lord Nyax. This Lord Nyax appeared about a month after Coruscant fell to the Vong, and he was spotted again just four days ago, gathering more people for his dark purposes. Meanwhile, on Borlaeus, the Yuuzhan Vong test Wedge's defenses with a series of small attacks. But really, they're trying to find Jaina Solo, who continues taunting the Vong by impersonating one of their gods, Yun Harla, the trickster. Wedge also continues to feed misinformation to the Vong commander, pretending to do more tests on the Star Lancer superweapon. That includes manufacturing a huge lambent crystal to power it. While Wedge and the insiders prepare for a full invasion that they know will soon be coming, Jaina and Jag Fell continue their new romance, stealing a moment together in a hallway storage room. But their relationship has drawn the eye of JAG's executive officer, Sean Kier Nerodo. 
she tells Jag they've gathered enough information to bring the Chiss into the war. She says Jag is only prolonging their stay due to his feelings for Jaina. Jag disagrees. He says they have an opportunity to hurt the Vong in the upcoming battle that would help prevent the Vong from hurting the Chiss later. Sean Keir agrees to stay, but only until the end of the battle, and only on the condition that if she dies, Jag agrees to return to Chiss space and finish their mission. Han and Leia travel to the planet Vanix. Officially, they're on a diplomatic mission to request aid for the war. Unofficially, they're on, a, on Vanix to set up another rebel cell, sneaking a pair of undercover intelligence officers onto the planet. The Solos arrive just in time for an election between Senator Adith Gadin and Admiral Alpin Whirl. Gadin hopes to negotiate with the Yuuzhan Vong, while the Admiral wants to fight. Han and Leia know the New Republic can't afford to lose another planet to the Vong. They promise to help Admiral Whirl win the election if she's willing to deliver them eight submersibles in exchange for their support. Senator Adith hears about the scheme and she counters with an offer of much-needed starships. Leia sets a trap for Adith. Using a news reporter disguised to look like Han to record the senator's bribery attempt. When the reporter reveals herself, Adith knows she's lost. Having secured the election for Admiral Whirl, Han and Leia collect the submersibles and return to Borealis. On Savong Lao's world ship, the War Master tries to uncover a mutiny from the Shapers and the Priests. The heretic Shaper, Nen Yim, examines Tsavong Law's implant and says the War Master is indeed being betrayed. She says there's nothing wrong with the implant. The reason it isn't healing must be because Head Shaper, Gitral Dahl, is sabotaging the limb. Tsavong Law sends for former New Republic Senator Viki Shesh, and praises her for alerting him to the treachery of the Shapers and the Priests. The War Master then exacts his revenge. He gathers the Priests and Shapers of Yun Yuzhan in one of the World Ship's transport ships. When they ask if the War Master has any new commands, Tsavang Law releases a herd of Rancors. The monsters devour the traitors. Following the carnage, Tsavang Law destroys the transport, blaming the New Republic. On Coruscant, the insertion team continues the search for Lord Nyax. They find a hidden Imperial research lab steeped in dark side force energy. It's so intense, it almost makes Luke vomit. They find an empty animation tank, and whatever in, was in it must have been huge, about three meters tall. The team discovers that the tank housed a human male subjected to growth hormones and cyber, cybernetic stimulation. The subject also has armor implanted in his torso, head, arms, and legs, and his brain was replaced with electronic parts. But his transformation wasn't finished. His mind isn't working. Lord Nyax is fueled solely by his anger and need to destroy. And right now, he's bent on opening the well beneath the old Jedi Temple. As a reward for helping Tsavang La, Viki Shesh is sent to the surface of Coruscant with a Yuzhan Vong hunting party to search for the Jedi. During the search, their Voxen become alert to a large force presence 
and head in that direction. On the way, the Vong kill a young man hiding in the lower levels, but not before he gives Viki a small locator device. Eventually, the Voxen track their quarry to a manufacturing building, where they find Lord Nyax. Six lightsabers ignite from his arms and legs, and the monster begins slashing through the hunting party. Viki takes advantage of the confusion and flees. She turns on the locator and follows the beacon to an apartment building. There, she finds a stockpile of emergency rations and something else. A fully operational shuttle that she can use to escape Coruscant. The Millennium Falcon returns to Borealis, right in the middle of a swarm of coral skippers and Doval Basin mines. As Han flies through the swarm, one of the mines starts following the Falcon. When they get to the planet, Han and Leia tell Wedge about the mine. Wedge believes the mine recognized the Falcon's gravity profile. The insiders meet to see if they can use this new information to their advantage. Meanwhile, in orbit, the New Republic forces are building something deep inside the Lusanka, an enormous metal spear. Wedge thinks the spear is something Zolkang Law won't possibly anticipate. But regardless, when the spear is deployed, it will spell the end of the Super Star Destroyer. The infiltration team continues moving through the lower levels of Coruscant when Luke feels someone watching him. He sees a man staring at him from a nearby building. The figure is enormous, but he has a childlike aura. He also radiates with dark side energy. Luke is intrigued by the man. He feels an overwhelming urge to go meet him. Luke starts to step out onto a walkway when suddenly he realizes there is no walkway. If he would have stepped off the balcony, he would have plummeted to his death. Luke looks back at the other building, but the figure is gone. Quickly, he heads back to the group and tells Mara that Lord Nyax is close. They need to go after him. Now. The surviving members of the Yuza Vong hun hunting party track down Vicky Shesh and force her to return with them on the search for the giant Jedi monster. The remaining Voxen picks up the scent, and soon they track him down. The Vong attack, just as Luke, Mara, and Tahiri arrive. The Jedi and the Vong surround Lord Nyax. Together, they attack the monster, who ignites six red blades from his arms and legs. Lord Nyax slices through the, the Vong as the Jedi try to block his lightsabers. During the battle, Mara spots Vicky attempting to flee but she's caught by two of the wraiths who haul Vicky up by the ankles and find her locator. The wraiths turn back to watch the fight with Lord Nyax when a huge mechanical roar fills the chamber. The floor collapses, and Lord Nyax heads off into the direction of the old Jedi Temple with Luke, Mara, and Tahiri in hot pursuit. The Jedi followed Lord Nyax to the old temple and watch in awe as he taps into the wellspring of the Force. The monster flings broken pieces of buildings in all directions, destroying everything for kilometers. Luke and Mara leap toward Lord Nyax, taking his attention. They slash and move, slash and move, trying to drive Lord Nyax onto each other's blades. Tahiri takes advantage of the situation 
and comes up with a plan. She taps into the Yuzhan Vong part of herself, becoming invisible in the Force. When Luke tries to force-push Lord Nyax toward Mara's lightsaber, Tahiri moves up behind the monster and stabs Lord Nyax through the back, killing him, stopping Luke's dark side vision from coming true. The Wraiths pick up the Jedi and head to Vicky's hidden shuttle. They prepare to launch when Kel's comlink goes off. It's Vicky, and she begs for a ride off the planet. Vicky arrives as the shuttle lifts off. She watches it turn and sees Mara giving her a death stare for attempting to kidnap Ben. Mara watches Vicky with, when one of the Yuzungvong appears, ready to kill Vicky, calling her a coward. Realizing she's trapped, Vicky shouts that no Jedi or Yu Hong Vong will kill her. She walks out the apartment's viewport and falls to oblivion. The shuttle heads off to Coruscant and jumps back to Borealis. The shuttle arrives just as Wedge prepares to abandon Borlaeus. Wedge lets everyone in on the Project Starlancer secret, that it's a fake. They used a New Republic capital ship during its test firing, hidden just outside the Coruscant system. That ship fired simultaneously with the Starlancer beam, making the Vong believe the New Republic had a new weapon capable of long-distance damage. The pipe fighters are bait to lure Zulkang La into attacking them while Lusankia slowly moves into position. It's time to unleash Project Emperor's Spear. The story ends with Zulkang Law confused. When he sees the New Republic abandon the Starlancer pipe fighters, the Vong commander doesn't understand what's happening. But he knows he's been outfoxed. Zulkang Law realizes the Lysankia has slowly maneuvered nearby. He watches as the ship's hull is blasted apart, revealing a giant metal stinger. Deep inside the Super Star Destroyer, Commander Aldo Davip steers Lysankia on a collision course with Zulkang Law's world ship. The spear point plunges into the world ship, starting a chain of explosions that makes the Lysankia appear to be a giant red-orange lightsaber blade. As the world ship is destroyed, Wedge orders the jump to light speed. Borlaeus is abandoned. It belongs to the Vong now, but the New Republic has dealt them a serious blow. With a new resistance, alive and well. Time for a break. When we return, Jay and I will talk more about Enemy Lines 2, Rebel Stand, by Aaron Alston. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Aftermath, Empire's End is the conclusion to the best-selling trilogy about the final days of the Empire. Nora Wexley and her team hunt for Imperial Grand Admiral Ray Sloan, who's searching for the mysterious Gallius Rex. And it all culminates at one last battle on the planet Jakku. Will Nora and Ray Sloan be able to stop Rex from implementing the Emperor's final plan? Find out in Aftermath Empire's End. 
by Chuck Wendig, the final book in the Aftermath trilogy. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today, Jay and I are talking about Enemy Lines 2, Rebel Stand, by Aaron Alston. Book number 12 in the New Jedi Order series. Jay, I really like these two books, Enemy Lines 1 and 2. What I find interesting about the second book, however, is the Lord Nyack's storyline. Why does Luke think that Lord Nyax could be a greater threat than the Yuuzhan Vong? I'm not 100% clear on that. Do you have any ideas? Um, I think because he felt him across the galaxy. So I think when he originally started the mission, he didn't know exactly why he was going there. Um, he just knew that there was something there that needed to be dealt with, but I think it also was his ego a little bit where a lot of the newer Jedi have kind of almost been lost because they feel he's been inactive. Um, and he talked, he kind of talks about it at one point where he's like, I'm literally going into the heart of where the Yuuzhan Vong are right now on this mission and that should show that I'm willing to put myself in harm's way and not just direct orders. And he, he, he had an epiphany while he was there that being the leader of the Jedi in a wartime was basically just putting yourself in front of the aggressor and he's used to dealing with dark Jedi. So that's something familiar. And when he had to deal with Lord Nyax, he, he realized that's what he's always done. He's inserted himself, and now it's his job to prepare the next generation to insert themselves in front of that dangerous path. And realizes also that currently the Yuuzhan Vong are that aggressor. And he needs to get the Jedi in line and um, put them in front. So the one thing I was kind of thinking is, yes, Luke feels a dark side presence. The biggest issue with the Yuuzhan Vong, at least as far as the Jedi go, is they can't feel them in the Force. So maybe this was something familiar to Luke. Let's face it, the Jedi haven't really figured out exactly how to respond to the Yuuzhan Vong because they can't feel them in the Force. At least with Lord Nyax, Luke knows the light side of the Force stands up to the dark side of the Force. I think this may have just been a way for Luke on some level to feel useful, to feel like a leader, to show some of the Jedi who have been critical of his leadership, that he's out here doing something. At least that's the only thing I can come up with for this part of the storyline. I'm not saying it was a bad storyline. I actually enjoyed it. It just, on some level, 
it kind of felt a little out of place to me in this whole story of the New Jedi Order. Did it feel out of place to you? Yeah, it it it, it did and it didn't. Like again, it was that familiarity um, of a dark Jedi that we're so used to in Star Wars, and you know, it felt a little weird. I felt like they could have thrown that character in just about anywhere in this series, in a different series. But I also feel that maybe Luke needed a reminder of who he was. And I think that's something that Lord Nyax kind of represented was that I need to be true to myself and not, I can't be anyone else. I can't make decisions that I wouldn't normally make. I have, this is how I've always dealt with things. So that's how I'm going to deal with it going forward. Tahiri kills Lord Nyax by shutting off the Jedi side of herself and falling into the Vong side of herself. First off, I didn't know that she could do this. I'm not sure the reader really knows until this moment that Tahiri can do this. I don't exactly know how she's doing it. What do you think this could mean going forward in the story over the last seven books of the series? I loved actually that she touched that this happened. Um, She's talked about no one really understanding just what the Vaughn did to her. Um, and then, you know, she's had to deal with Anakin's death too, right? So she's probably actually shut herself off more than people realize. And I think it's been a self-discovery of hers that she has this ability. She has mentioned before that she feels like she has two people inside of her sometimes. I think in one of the previous books, she gave a battle cry in the Yuzog Vaughn language and doesn't remember having ever learned that language. Maybe it's almost like a split personality thing where that other personality has completely different capabilities than what we're used to. Um, And as for going forward, if she can figure out how to teach other people how to do that, they might have an advantage or maybe there's something there that allows them to kind of get a glimpse of the Vong in the Force. Over the course of both of these enemy lines books in this duology, Tahiri mentions a handful of times of being able to think like the Vong where none of our other heroes can do that because of the torture she went through and some of the information that Nen Yim implanted in her head. That part I understood. I guess the part that was surprising to me is that she said she could shut off her Jedi side, like become like the Vong and become invisible in the Force because Lord Nyax does not feel her coming up behind him. You know, this monster who is tapped into this wellspring of the Force and is showing unbelievable power at the time that Tahiri just sneaks up behind him. I find that really interesting. 
I also find one of the things you said interesting is that maybe she can teach other Jedi how to do this. That really won't affect the Yuzhan Vong at all. But if they can take that first step, then maybe they can start feeling the Yuzhan Vong somehow, whether it's through the Force or something else. We already know that Anakin was able to do it slightly when he attuned himself to that lambent crystal that he used to rebuild his lightsaber. He said he couldn't feel the Vong through the Force, but he could feel them somehow using that crystal. So maybe this is another way to go about that. Yeah, and it it also kind of brings me back to what Mara said to Anakin, that he was so accustomed to using the Force as a tool. And overall, the Jedi have so heavily relied on their Force capabilities they're being able to almost see what their opponent's going to do before they do it, that they've stopped actually thinking about what their next move is, right? They, it, the force has become a crutch for them. So if they can, they still have their martial prowess, but now they're not relying on something else. It's what they're capable of. Elsewhere... You have Wedge's plan with the Emperor's Spear. Han and Leia fix an election on the planet Vanix. You still have Jaina pretending to be the trickster goddess. What do you think of all this different misdirection in this book? Because Aaron Alston uses it a lot here. I usually like little sleight of hand things, little misdirection. But he uses it a lot. I really did like the Emperor Spear plan. I thought that was a I thought that was a really cool part of the book. Yeah, I, I thought that was really cool too. Because uh, even when I first was reading it, they're like, "Well, we're doing something inside the Lasankia so that the Vaughn can't see it, right? They'll have no way to predict what it is. No, there's no spy that's going to see what's happening, and they're going to get hit." with something they can't expect. Um, I actually liked a lot of the misdirection. You know, it really it really showed Wedge as a commander and just how he thinks so outside the box that when you go back to some of like the early X-Wing books and he's getting in trouble for not sticking to the plan and making it things up as it goes. But he just has such battle awareness that he's like, okay, this isn't working. Let's flip the script and try something else in the middle of the battle. Well, I think Wedge has been hanging around the rogues and especially the wraiths too long. He's become a little bit infected with their way of thinking. Uh, They are not exactly known for military discipline like Wedge was prior to forming those two squadrons. Yeah, and actually one of the things that I laughed at uh, was later in the book when he took on an entire um, Coral Skipper squad by himself and managed to take them all out as the Tanab Yellow Aces show up and their commander, Wes Jansen, who used to be his co-pilot, you know, back on Hoth, 
and has no idea that it's Wedge. And he's like, hey, if you keep flying like that, they're going to call you the greatest fighter pilot of your age. And all he gets back is laughter. Because Wedge has been called that his entire career. Yeah, he's he's the best fighter pilot that doesn't use the Force out there. One of the things we didn't mention in our summary that I do think we should at least include as part of the discussion is what happens to Tam, the reluctant spy from the first Enemy Lines book, Rebel Dream. If listeners you don't remember, Tam was the hollow documentary camera operator that the Vong had captured and implanted something in his brain that made him listen to their orders or inflicted immense pain on him. The last thing they told Tam to do was to kill Danny Kui. He refused to do it. He revealed himself to Jaina Solo, and then he collapsed from the pain that was going off in his head. Well, in this book, they affix him with something on his head. I imagine Lobot from The Empire Strikes Back. I don't know if that's what it looks like, but that's the way I imagine. And Tam is able to uncover another Yuzhan Vong spy at the base on Borlaeus. It's a nice character arc for someone that's not really that important. We don't really need to know much about Tam going forward, but I just thought it was something nice to include in this book. I like that part. Um, it's funny because when I read it, I actually almost pictured like a bicycle helmet on his head um, because they that's how we first see him. And then a little while later, they actually talk about how um, Sigil put an implant in to do the same thing to counteract the Vong, Vong implant. But I like that. And even him using his skills, right? He picked up a Vong device where it shouldn't be when he was going through the hollow recordings. And he's like, well, no one knows about this. That shouldn't be there. And, you know, the uh, holodrama or hollow documentary that he works with is like, yeah, let's go, let's go investigate. And maybe not everyone, but the right people took him seriously. Like he got the ear of the head of intelligence, uh, Ayala Wasari, Wedge's wife. But, like, who has that authority that goes, hey, like, I I know you guys real think I'm a traitor, but I need to talk to the head of intelligence because I have information that, like, she's going to want to hear. One lament is that K2 is not on the show with us tonight to revel in the death of Senator Vicky Shesh. Listeners, if you have been with us the entire New Jedi Order series, you'll remember that K2 is not a fan of Vicky. There are parts of her story in this book that I'm not really sure she would have survived as long as she does. 
But the way she goes out is fine by me. She knew she was finally at an end. It would have been nice if maybe Mara could have been the one to do it. I understand why they didn't, because Mara is supposed to not take revenge on someone being a Jedi. But we're all human. We all know what we wanted Mara to do to Vicky there at the end. Regardless, pour one out for Vicky Shesh. I mean, she she was, has been a great foil in the series. Um, I, I like that she took the stand of, no one else is going to do this, I'm going to do it myself. Um, just that, that last little bit of control. And I mean, like, she survived a lot of stuff that she really shouldn't have. I don't know, I kind of hope that uh, Lord Nyax was going to get her out of everyone. <laughs> Um, I just, I don't know. I just pictured him impaling her with one of his lightsabers. Um, but yeah, now, uh, now, now who's going to be the informant going forward? I know that the Wraiths and Luke and Mara and Tahiri and Danny had to get off the planet with the shuttle. I think it would have been funnier if Vicky would have tried to use the shuttle. Cause personally, I don't think she could have flown it. I think she would have somehow lifted off and just a bunch of coral scuppers would have flown over and just shot her down. I think I think that would have been pretty hilarious. But this is how she went out. She went out on her own terms, I guess. So, Jay, one of the last things I want to talk about, the New Republic has now given up Borlaeus. They've given up a planet that's in position for them to launch a counterattack against the Coruscant system. Now, this is what quote-unquote Chief of State Quo and the Advisory Council wanted in Rebel Dream, but there it felt like they wanted Wedge and all the people with him to be wiped out. So the Advisory Council got the result they wanted, but definitely not the way they wanted because now there's a shadow government and it's not the new Republic. It's the second coming of the rebellion. Oh, I, I love this. And I, again, it calls back to wedge and how he interprets his orders, right? Cause he, he was ordered to, you know, defend the planet and then ultimately give it up. And he knew that uh, Poe wanted them all dead because they, their entire career, everyone he sent there was either useless or a troublemaker for the New Republic government. So they were hoping to get rid of all of them in one shot. And Wedge was like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to, you know, you want me to... to Abandon the planet? Sure. But I'm doing it on my terms. And uh, let, let's see what damage we can do. If folks remember way back when I covered the Rogue Squadron series, the first four books, and then the next three, the Wraith books, you'll remember the Rogues helped win the Bacta War by resigning their commissions and leaving 
the New Republic government. The Wraiths helped track down Warlord Zinge and defeat him by going undercover. Wedge kind of does both in these two books. He doesn't officially leave the New Republic, but let's face it, he sets up his own government outside of the New Republic, and he has ordered intelligence to send out undercover operatives to planets all throughout the galaxy now, setting up these little rebel cells. I think this is a cool way to kind of call back to those X-Wing books here in this part of the story. I just think that's really cool. Yeah, I, I, I really like that too. And I think Wedge kind of said it, like, you know, in one of these two books where he was like, this is the style I grew up fighting, but I had to kind of shelve it for political reasons. And the Vong obviously have had people informing them on how the New Republic does battle. And that's why he throws in, well, maybe we should fight them as the Rebellion. Because we, we didn't care about the odds when we were the Rebellion. I also love that he throws in the Empire. So he has some idea of their tactics. And you know what? They don't know the Empire either. So now these are tactics they're not used to. Yeah, like I said, I think that's just a really cool illusion. I think it shows a level of adaptability that Wedge has outside of the structure of the New Republic military and the New Republic government that those that are in power, are they really in power in the New Republic government right now, are not able to adapt in the same way. They want to keep going on like business as usual to some extent without understanding that the New Republic has already fallen. There's no New Republic there, really, to save. Yes, the government's there in name only, but I think Wedge and the other insiders have realized that, no, there is no New Republic anymore. The Yuzhan Vong is the new governing body in the galaxy we know how to respond to an oppressive regime. That's what we have to go back to. I think we've also been seeing that kind of throughout the series too, because uh, I, I feel like the military personnel have clued into this way before the politicians have. Uh, because in one of the books that we covered, Admiral uh, Crefay was ready to resign his commission and take his entire squad with him and anyone that would join him and basically put out a, a, a bulletin saying anyone that wants to fight, this is where we'll be. And Gavin Darklighter was in that room, who is Wedge's, Wedge's successor, right? He's the leader of Rogue Squadron and he was willing to throw down his commission and join. So I think the military personnel have realized that this is kind of the way we need to fight. And now that they're, the politicians are kind of out of the picture, 
Okay, let's go. <laughs> it would have been interesting to see. I mean, Gavin resigning his commission and taking Rogue Squadron with him. That's kind of what the Rogues do now. That like that's their move. That's their you know they, they don't like something. Ah, eh, we're just gonna resign and take our X wings with us. You know. Um, last question, Jay. The Emperor's spear. Just the visual, what I imagine it looking like, I think is one of the cooler visuals in my head in all of Legends. Seeing the Lysankia falling apart because they specifically do not keep up with the maintenance on it from the various battles that it's been in. They're doing that on purpose to make it look like less of a threat while building the spear deep inside of the Super Star Destroyer to have it then sort of blast open the bow and you just see this pointed spike. And when it drives into the Yuzhan Vong world ship and right before he blasts off in a shuttle and escapes... Commander Davip hits the button that starts the chain of explosions along the sphere, lighting it up similar to a lightsaber. What do you think of that visual? Because that's just, that is something that I would like to see on screen. I know it'll never happen, but if someone out there is listening and wanted to animate it, you know, just five, ten seconds, send it to me. I'd love to see it. I, I I just think that would look really cool. I 100% agree. When I was reading that, I was just like, this is such an epic visual. And I really hope that, you know, that little blast boat with the hollow cams on it got that visual. Because what a message to the universe. We just struck a giant blow with this massive lightsaber. The Jedi are here. We're, you know, we're in the fight. Like, oh my goodness, that was... I I probably think I don't remember that happening the first time I re- read it but now I'm just like how is the, how could I have forgotten this like I I I'm like you I want to see this in some capacity Oh yeah a, a hollow of that would be a tremendous morale booster to the universe it would also be a tremendous recruiting tool for Wedge. His forces, Garmbel Iblis's forces, Admiral Trace Kafray's forces, they could use that to really rally people who are either afraid of the Yuzhan Vong to join the fight, or maybe they're in a part of the galaxy that hasn't really been affected yet, like possibly the Chiss, and say, hey, look, we can fight back against the Vong. Look at what we can do. Join us. That would be an excellent recruiting tool. Oh, for sure. And uh, here, here's another one that could also, we've seen them kind of help a little bit, is the Imperial Revenant, right? What a rallying call for that. The giant super star destroyer that is a symbol of the Empire strikes the killing blow with a red lightsaber. 
Oh yeah, I, I completely forgot about Pelion. I mean, Pelion taking this to the Moff Council. Hey, guys, remember when we ruled the galaxy about 15, 20 years ago? And we had this huge superstar destroyer, and we had a guy that walked around with a red lightsaber just rolling through enemy forces. This is the embodiment of that. Yeah, like that that visual is I don't know how I've ever forgotten that. Like it yeah, just incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely incredible. Well, we'll have to leave it there. It's time to wrap up. Listeners, if you or anyone has an opinion about something that Jay and I has talked about on this show, or if you have a question for me, you can email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com, or you can send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Jay, thank you very much for joining me today. If the listeners would like to contact you, or if they want to check out Animated Antics, how can they do that? Uh, well, they can email us at animatedantics0, that's the number, not the letter, at gmail.com. They can find us at Twitter, at jncat1. Or if you want to follow me personally, where I like to make fun of the Baltimore Orioles, Boo. it's at j81hunt. Uh, we also are on Instagram, at Animated Antics Pod, and we are also on Blue Sky, uh, Animated Antics Podcast. And if you want to follow me there on uh, Blue Sky, it's Rebel J. Coming up on the next episode, it's my personal favorite book in the New Jedi Order series, Traitor by Matthew Stover. And Matt will be joining me to discuss that book coming up on September 29th. Listener, thank you so much for tuning in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. <laughs>